You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, joined by my co-host Leon. Let's do this! episode of Ace Comicals. This time we are here to discuss one of my personal favourite comics, The Old Guard. Joining me today, it is just Leon. Howdy. So yeah, just a warning from the get-go, we are going to talk about the original five-issue run of The Old Guards. We're going to talk about the sequel to that, The Old Guard Force Multiplied, Mortified, Multiplied. And we're also (laughs) going to talk about the Netflix adaptation. And this is going to be spoilerific because we're just going to dive straight in. So that's your warning. So where to begin? The Old Guards began way back in the mists of time of 20 you know 2017 about roughly 6000 years ago <laughs> february the 22nd 2017 um and my brain tells me i've spoken about it on the podcast before um looking back through the episodes is telling me otherwise but i know i have and leon knows i have so it's there somewhere, going to be within the first five episodes somewhere. So if you want to go look for it, you can. But we talked about it originally in, in our infancy. And um, throughout the evolution of Ace Comicals, as we've gone on, I've brought it up at various intervals saying it's really good. So uh, now I'm getting to do the deep dive, which I've always wanted to do. So the first five issue run, which is simply titled The Old Guard uh first hit stands february 22nd 2017 with old guard number one and it was just excellent from the get-go this this like uh people in various places say it's high high concept this high concept action story of these immortal ever-living warriors seemingly can't die they're functionally immortal so they can die but what happens is they come back the movie makes it look like an accelerated healing factor so something akin to Deadpool, but at some point there's a, there's like a, if Deadpool had a breaker switch, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, like when the electricity goes off in your house and then you have to go and flip the switches to turn it. Yeah. If dead, if, if when Deadpool died, he blew a fuse instead of just staying, you know, like conscious through the whole thing. Uh, they, they kind of like, they blow a fuse and then you hit the breaker and they come back on again. And, um, this is something that, like, they, so they're functionally immortal because they, but, but the thing is, there is an end to this. They just don't know when it's going to be. So it's like which one is an day. Interesting wrinkle on there, which I quite like. Yeah, one day you're going to die and it's going to be the last time you die. So go figure. But yeah, so we start with introduction, but basically the first five issues is kind of an introduction to the team and their life as mercenaries in the modern world, trying to stay off the grid to hide their secret of immortality. Uh, and we are introduced to the character of Andy or Andromache the Scythian, who is this 6,000 year old warrior. Um, she's literally been kicking it since the dawn of time. And, um, she is 
I think it's that the years have taken their toll on her and she's just kind of like trying to find a reason to continue to exist, isn't she? Yeah, because while time cannot have an effect on, say, her body and like aging, like physically, uh, like mentally, just being alive for that amount of time and seeing everything and experiencing everything that she has gone through, it's going to take a big toll on you, big toll. Yeah, I mean, like, she has literally, she's, she's learned languages that people don't even speak anymore. She <laughs> has, like, hacked and slashed her way through entire populations of people. She's, and she just, she, she continues to live because, because she, she seemingly cannot be killed and her time hasn't come yet is the easiest way to explain it. But it's, what makes her the most interesting character is the fact that she she is constantly searching for a reason to continue to exist. Um, and for a while she gets it, and then it sort of gets taken away again. She gets shown the other side of things, but that comes later on. Um, and yeah, so you've got these first five issues where we're introduced to the team. You've got... Um, Andy, you've got uh, Joe or Yusuf and uh, Niccolo um, or Nicky, uh, which is like his modern Monaco, who they, those two met in the Crusades. So uh, Joe was um, an Islamic warrior and Nicky was a crusader. He was a, um, a Christian warrior monk crusader type. Uh, and they met, killed each other many times and then fell in love. Which I think is a great little twist. I I, I really love those two, and I love their relationship and, and everything else um, yeah, about same. those characters. And then you've got Booker uh, Sebastian Livre, who um, was in Le Grande Armée and uh, fought for Napoleon and died marching into Russia. He was executed for um, for for desertion, and they realised they couldn't kill him. Uh, he's, I think, I don't know if, is, I don't know if Booker is, um, because I really like Booker actually as well. Cause he kind of, he's only 200 years in, but he's like almost, he's, each of them has experienced a different, um, a different facet of immortality, if you like. At this yeah. Point. A different tragedy so, to do with it. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe not even a tragedy because, um, Joe and Nikki um found love and they have this eternal love to share and they just they 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 get to go on forever together mm. like and and for them eternity is bliss because they have each other um andy has no one she's she's been around for six thousand years and things have just come and gone and she's been around for so long that she has learned not to get attached to anything or anyone and she's just completely from a different time and things just just pass her by so quickly and so often that it's almost like difficult for her to get a foothold but it's like it's loneliness but it's a different kind of loneliness she's searching for a reason she wants to know why her and no one else booker has outlived his entire family he outlived his children and he had to watch them all die one by one and then curse him for being immortal. So he's experienced like 
another side of it where it's it's the the sort of tragedy of of people being jealous of you of knowing you of knowing that you're immortal and your own family cursing you for the fact that thinking you're selfish yeah thinking you're holding your gift yeah exactly because you cannot share this gift with them um and then so these guys are contracted to do a job by a ex-CIA agent and they um they go ahead and do this little do they know it's a double cross um along the way they come across another immortal a new one um who's basically she's she has died for the first time and this is Niall Freeman um an american marine who is fighting in afghanistan she dies she comes back um I think Andy kind of saves her, actually, because they're, they're probably going to send her off for tests, aren't they? I mean, American military being American military, they're going to look at her like an asset and send her off for uh, all kinds of tests and try to find out what makes her tick anyway. Um, yeah, Andy, most likely. But they don't really yeah. dwell on it too much in in the book, but yeah, it, yeah. it seems so. Yeah, because she doesn't... I mean, that's more that's more alluded to in the movie, which we'll come to in a moment, but in the book, yeah, Andy kind of like swoops in and... Because they, they, the, the whole thing with these immortals is they dream about each other. So when a new one appears, the others will experience dreams and, until they find them. And then when they find them, the dreams stop. So that's that's kind of like how they link up and become this kind of like band of warriors. Which is another interesting concept, actually, that they, they're almost, they're, they're, their meeting is almost preordained or, or, or you know... It's some like higher destiny. power, or some you... higher power moving yeah. the pieces around the board, maybe, maybe, yeah. But the other side of that is as well that without knowing it, they're shaping history. Because by being around so long and by participating in so many wars and by um, almost taking influencing jobs. the world unknowingly and taking these jobs, yeah, taking the jobs that they think are right and doing what they think is right and using their gifts to do what they believe is right, they have influenced the path of history. Which isn't really revealed until the end of the second batch. Yeah, it's it's not that's not really revealed to the end of the second comic, but the movie kind of like is a hodgepodge of the first and the second set of comics. So in the movie that's revealed a lot sooner. Um because the movie the movie follows largely follows the plot of the first five books. But then there's bits it picks and chooses from the second lot. So the way that the way the uh, the story goes in the first five books is that Booker sells them out because he wants a way out. He wants to find a way to end it all. So he sells them out to um, Copley. Uh, yeah, Copley. Well, Copley is the uh, the CIA guy who he, he sells them out to Copley and Copley ha- is in in cahoots with um, this kind of like uh, farmer guy, isn't he? Yeah. Farmer, farmer tech douche. Dude. Yeah. He's uh, he's some super rich Martin Shkreli type. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's funny actually. Like we'll yeah. talk about this this later, but he's designed differently in in like the books and the film adaptations. But both seem to nail a different facet of douchebag uh, farmer exec guy. Yeah, of the same farmer bro. Yeah, it's like you've got in in the in the movie he's like really weedy and slimy, and like really entitled and just 
like a horrible human being for different reasons and in the comic he's this like peak physical condition like egotistical yeah (laughs) egotistical type you know yeah, so so he, they're sold out to these this pharma company where, that to try and that, that want to try and discover the secret to immortality, basically because they come across it. Copley comes across it because Copley does what Co- people like Copley do, and he investigates. Like he wants to know who these people are that he's been hiring. So he starts to dig a little deeper, and he finds out that they're actually um, they've been around for a, a while, <laughs> to say the least. The comic itself is written by. Uh, Greg Rooker and uh, the art is by Leandro Fernandez uh, with colours by Daniela Miwa uh, letters by Jody Wynn and uh, public well it's um, it's published by Image Comics now the Netflix adaptation the interesting thing the most interesting thing about this which you don't often see with film adaptations of comics is the writer has adapted his own work for film so Greg Rooker um, was brought on to adapt his own comic for the screen. Um, and while it is incredibly faithful, um, there are a lot of differences between the movie and the, the comic and, and, you know, like events are brought forward from the second five issues, which is force multiplied. Um, and so forth. It's, it's, um, it kind of picks and chooses what it wants from the first 10 issues really, and kind of condenses it a little bit and then takes it in a different direction altogether almost. And although there are differences, although there are, there are like kind of almost dramatic differences between the movie and the comic, one thing that translates well from page to screen is the, um, the action beats from the comic, like the, this, like pure, cacophonous chaos the the action that happens in the comics because it is as its heart an action story so but it's an action story with a difference because it it kind of flips the formula on its head a little bit in that when you watch action films usually um you are it's it's gratuitous violence but it's kind of like taken to the nth level so usually when you watch an action film mooks on screen are gunned down left right and center and um it's kind of just throwaway like life has now has no value but then in this movie where where life is endless and people can die and come back and loss of life seemingly has less would would on the surface have less impact than it would in a normal action movie, um, life has more value. If that makes sense. Yeah, and this is this is what I think is a strength of uh, the director uh, Gina Prince Blythewood, who um, made movies such as uh, Beyond the Lights, which I really loved, and like uh, Love and Basketball. And um, I think what she's really effective at doing with this film is. Um, giving a bit more uh, weight uh, and depth to the action, considering the, um, the the characters and their abilities, but also what they go through, because they still feel pain, and um, they're not portrayed as like sort of like super soldiers. They're portrayed as like experienced, hyper competent people. And then you've got the new character Nahu, who is in ways um, are. Are 
our way into this world in a way. I know we, we start with the actual team, but she, she has a lot of questions that we, the audience, also have. And I think that um, uh, Prince Blythewood and Rucker, uh, like they come together really well um, to bring the the comic to life without it, it feeling uh, just like a, an empty translation. And it, it, instead, it does feel like an adaptation and they've like picked and choosed moments which will work better visually and then changed other moments so they work better in a audiovisual medium rather than on the page. Yeah, you see, I feel that like like I was saying before, the action the action beats translate very well from page to film. And that's what I really like about it. I mean I still like when I when I open the comics, when I open the, the books and I look at the books, um the first five issues, going back through them this week, um we've got like uh these onomatopoeic sound effects that are like repeated over and over and used they they almost fill the page with them overlapping um like in fight scenes like bullets like guns firing bullets in walls that kind of stuff and it's just it's just cacophonous it's just there to and it enhances the scenes it surrounds you with the sound of war and brings you into the chaos like war is hard and dirty and unpleasant and and like where in some action stories and action comics, violence is almost glorified. In this, it's laid bare and just put out as like, so this is what it looks like, you know. And and it, it hits you harder than it would in a normal action story where it's more um, it's more absolute. So in this in this, the violence isn't absolute because somebody can lose half their face and then get up again. But in in a normal action story, the violence violence like that is absolute. But what this this flips it on its head because it doesn't it actually hits harder, even though it's not as absolute. And it actually like it pulls you into the page with the, the, the this like overlapping on a and everything else and the way that it brings you into the environment and, and the sounds around you. And I, I feel like that is one of the best things that they've translated from page to screen is the way the action scenes work in the movie. And the way they've gotten that across with uh, people getting shot up, bullets everywhere, especially that opening scene in the movie, which which mirrors um, the beginning of the comic, the the mm. double cross where they're sent on the mission to Africa, and um, it turns out that they're actually being set up so that they can be filmed for evidence, and this evidence can be given over to the pharmaceutical company, um, like Copley kind of set them up, but it's like how that how that translate that's just awesome like and then we're given this like lingering shot in the film of um andy's face and then like she's just dead on the floor but then you just notice like the first thing you see is the pupil yeah yeah the pupil kind of contracts and then she gets up and it's just like i love that and i love i love how because that 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 is one of the things that I think translates very well from the comic. And it's probably something that they've used the comic as a storyboard to do um, for those action scenes. Because it's it's like, it, for me, it's the comic page coming to life. And this is the things that the comics do very well. So 
Um, it does the action scenes very well, and it makes the the violence gratuitous and visceral, but also it's not glorified. And through that, I think that's how it gets its its kind of like its its heart across to you. It gets gets the the, the kind of whole concept of these immortal warriors and the way that they march on through life and 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 kind of this kind of explains their functional immortality as well in a really cool way um it it, it explains how that works um now between the film and the comic so i'm talking about the first five issues and the bits that the film picks and chooses from force multiplied so the way the story goes with the comics is that we go through the first arc um, and we come to the end of the first arc where, because um, Joe and Nikki are captured by the pharmaceutical company and we come to the end of the first arc where Niall and Andy come busting in all guns blazing to free Joe and Nikki and then Booker is sort of like he he comes back over to their side and so does Copley decides to help them uh realizing that they've all been kind of played in a way um and they kind of make everything right uh and Booker is then exiled from the group because how do you punish somebody who can't die like you can't mm. you can't kill him for his betrayal or anything like that like how would they the, the, their his punishment is to be exiled for a hundred years which I think is really cool so he gets in a, he gets a hundred years of being alone, a hundred years of loneliness, like that's it, hundred years on your own, and then uh, and then come back to this very spot in a hundred years and we'll find you, kind of thing. Um, and then after that, um, so where the fir- the first arc ends and the second arc begins, is where a character called Noriko turns up. So she is kind of explained in the first arc of the comics, it's explained that she was one of the first other immortals that Andy found and that she was lost in an accident at sea in a storm and she went overboard and she was lost in the water and they couldn't find her. But it transpires that she has been drowning repeatedly for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years. No, hundreds of years, definitely. Hundreds of years. Yeah, it was was, the 1500s. Yeah, 1500s. Yeah, hundreds of years. She's been drowning repeatedly over and over. And um, she actually, Andy presumed she was dead, but she actually wasn't dead. She was alive. And she managed to, um, she managed to survive it. And she came back and she is now the opposite to what the old guard are doing and she's kind of like the kind of like the antithesis of them she's the opposite of them and she's influencing the world in a negative way because she's running all the organized crime and everything else she's into people smuggling drugs um anything and everything like she's running like this international kind of uh rack uh i want to say racket but it's more than that uh, <laughs> it's like a global organization isn't yeah it? like a like a yeah like a global a global crime organization kind of it thing. kind of reminded me of 
the League of Shadows and particularly how the Nolan films deal with the League of Shadows, where it's like they are like behind it all and like when uh, the hubris of civilization gets too far, they go in and do the massive reset by uh, either yeah. burning down the place or uh, causing the economy to crash and blah, blah. And it's their whole thing where like they're like benevolent, benevolently um, keeping the order in, in their minds. They're, they're not looking at it as like, oh yeah, we're going to burn this city down as an evil act. They're like, we've got to keep humanity in check. And it kind yeah. of feels like that's her outlook to a degree because I think that after centuries of dying again and again, which uh, for likely in between 30 and 60 seconds, mm. um, that's just going to... So, like, if Andy is sort of jaded by the world because she's just seen every part of, uh, of like, human emotion, human action and all that, the, the good and the bad and endless wars and blah, 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 then with uh, Noriko, she's just felt pain and she's felt uh, abandoned and lonely and that's just going to breed a sort of nihilistic and... Um, sort of anti-human outlook yeah her whole thing is that humanity must be punished so she thinks that she has been put on earth to punish humanity and she talks about humans as if she isn't human which strictly they're not but well i mean are they aren't they medically they are medically they are yeah but um yeah, so she talks about humans as if they're something else, as if she has a, is she's beyond that, beyond human or whatever, and and it's almost it reminds me of um, it has shades of um, Magneto. Yeah, in the X Men yeah. books, yeah, like the kind of aloofness of Magneto, thinking that he, uh, this is where appear and everything else. Yeah, this is where I think that. Um... So obviously we'll get to this later on, but obviously there's, there's things I prefer from the books and, and there's things that I think that Rucker adapted better in the movie, made mm. more eloquent, uh, not eloquent, uh, elegant. And yeah. I think one of the things that is more elegant is how uh, the character who was Noriko in the books, in, in the movie, instead of it being that during a freak storm she's knocked off, uh, she's tortured and put in like sort of an Iron Maiden type thing and then uh, dropped to the bottom of the sea as like a witch or something. Part of and, a witch trial, yeah. Yeah, that feeds, that like feeds in. I'm not saying that if you, an ac- a freak accident happened to you and you were stuck dying and dying again, you wouldn't still breathe the same hate. But if, it, it, it feels more um, elegant and, and clean and, and uh, logical that like actually it's the uh, the evil acts of men mm. uh, causing this putting her into this endless loop prison is going to breed an almighty hate um, and, and and a level of vengeance that one can't even uh, consider or even imagine and I, I do like how there's a more agency in the evil acts of men rather than just being like a, a random act of nature and, and then her blaming everybody. Yeah. Uh, also, um, in the movies, Noriko is, is, is uh, Veronica and Go, who is Quinn. Um, and she, 
the reason they changed her is because um, the actress um, is Vietnamese and they didn't want to do what they didn't basically they thought it would be um they cast a vietnamese actress to play a japanese character and they didn't it would have been highly insensitive to go ahead with that wouldn't it because that would be doing the whole thing of of lumping all of east asia into one kind of ball that hollywood does do and yeah, I think, I think they wanted to kind of like skip away from that. So so what they did was they gave her a Vietnamese name. Yeah, and I think there is a nuance to that because there are... Yeah. There's multiple conversations and multiple moves forward in terms of representation and inclusion that will have elements that uh, overlap. But I think in changing the character and, and, and sort of in matching the actress they've cast, they've actually given the, the the character and story more weight because it's uh it's weight it's uh, weighted into something uh more tangible and more real, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And um I think it's a I think it's a pretty cool thing to have done actually. Because I know I this is what I'm trying to get across that at one time <laughs> they would have just marched ahead. And um, they wouldn't have been as uh, sensitive. That's what I, that's the word I'm looking for. They wouldn't have been as sensitive, and they they wouldn't have thought so much about it, and they wouldn't have been as accommodating. And I like that they've done that, and I think it's it's to their um, it's to their credit actually that they did that when they made the film that they renamed they changed Noriko to Quinn. They didn't change the character; they just gave her a different name to reflect the fact that she's from Vietnam instead of. Uh, instead of japan and that's it so uh it's good casting else. as well yeah because, um, yeah very good casting yeah but the last thing I'd, I'd seen her in was um she plays the basically wordless role of um page tika at the beginning of the last jedi okay. she's the, she's the one who uh, sets the bombers off at the beginning which is mm. like an amazing she's like rose's sister and it's like an amazing yeah. sequence and she does it all without any words and um yeah she, like she's great and i thought she was great casting but and I, and I wanted to see more of her character yeah and the kind of like the deep dive that we get into quinn's background and and kind of the the uh the reveal that quinn is still alive isn't something we get until the second arc of comics but in this um in in this in the first movie we get it early so this is one of the things that it picks and chooses from the second arc because it brings in the fact that Quinn is still alive um through Niall dreaming about Quinn drowning and drowning over again uh cuz Niall has has the dream of the other immortals and dreams of Quinn um as a way to kind of like bring it in so that Andy can explain it mm. um and it's, yeah, it's like, um, there's another immortal as well that is briefly talked about that they use to explain the fact that the immortality is finite, which is a character called Lycon, um, who is, I think Lycon gets more time in the comics than he does in the movie, because in the movies they, they kind of like, he's there for like two scenes or something and he dies 
you yeah. just get to see him die don't you and that's it um but in the in the comics he gets more time in the comics he it explains that he traveled with andy for uh years and years and years before he was killed in italy um during the renaissance uh but in i think it's um i'm not sure when and what time or what battle they were fighting in the film i think they just bring him in just to kind of like pay pay credit to the character in the comic really don't they mm. yeah isn't really get he doesn't really get as much time but the 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 idea um of 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 um noriko or quinn dying during the witch trials and being tried as a witch because they found out about her immortality i think that's very interesting yeah um and i do i do prefer that to her being washed overboard i have to say i prefer that that's one of the probably one of the, that's one of the things i prefer from the film um because there's a lot of things i think it's the the symptom of the usual thing of film versus comic where they adapt a comic into a film and when something's a comic it's laid out and there's more time for everything and you get more explanation more time is given to certain characters and things like that and you get more of a um you, you get more of a, a a sort of sweeping all-encompassing idea of how things are and they have to kind of like cram that into a shortish amount of time yeah 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 and, and like generally with film because you, you you need you want to keep a forward momentum happening yeah. so um oftentimes in the script, uh, they'll still have loads of things which explain more or give more time to certain characters. And then in the, they'll film it. And then mm. in the editing process, they'll find that um, certain scenes just slow the film down too much at, at, at bits where they, they need the film to pick up pace and momentum. Uh, yeah. And so that they'll, they'll end up cutting those. And um, so uh, often with film, it, it needs to be um, cut off. Like yeah. anything that you can consider fat to keep the story going and sometimes the casualties of that other you just uh, sometimes you only get like um sort of a hand wave mm. to a certain character or story element from the thing that is being adapted from hashtag release the rocker cut <laughs> this is the rocker cut <laughs> no 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 i want i want the full four hour old guard movie <laughs> that's a tv show Split over four <laughs> parts on Netflix. <laughs> Release one part a week. You know what, actually? I actually do feel like this would have made a better TV show than a movie. Yeah, I, I feel that. Because there are elements in it where, because they're like stuffing in a bunch, it does kind of skim in some areas. And mm. like uh, the film has kind of quite a good pace, actually. It does move. But then what happens is that I feel that if you are like, it can feel um, like it, 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 it lacks a bit of depth because mm. we don't get much time to deal. Like everything has to be sort of painted with a, a brush that gets the information over as quickly as possible, but we don't really get to languish in the moments or the, um, the considerations of what's going on. Um, yeah. So like we don't. I mean, there's there's a lot of good stuff through the direction and 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 the writing that does manage to convey certain elements quite cleanly. But there's other things where you just gotta take it and roll with it. But um, 
because there's not enough time for there to spend or build building up or engaging with this particular concept or character one of the things that i felt was better in the comic than in the film was booker's betrayal um when we go through the comic and we we think about booker's betrayal in the way that it kind of plays out what what it what he doesn't what it, what he does in the comic is he takes advantage of probably Andy's only weakness, like her only vulnerability, which is her lack of understanding of modern tech, which is alluded to right at the beginning of issue one when they find the camera and she grabs the camera and she's like, "You need to do what you need to do with yeah, this, to destroy yeah. it," and throws it to the other guys, and they're like, "Well, actually, it's been whatever's been filmed has been uploaded straight to the internet." Um. And then we've got this scene in the cave with the laptop, but because you're reading it in a comic or you're just, you're automatically believing that that's possible to get an internet connection in a cave. But then when you go back and think about it in the way that Rooker has written it, um, to make you go back and think about it, when you figure out, wait a second, he didn't have a satellite link and then Niall worked that out. Um, it, it, it just makes more sense than it does in the film. Yeah, I, I'd yeah. say I'm, I'm in the middle place with that because I think I do like, I think that whole thing with the cave stuff is is better and it's a cool reveal. But I think the execution of the reveal of the betrayal, uh, I do like how it's handled in the film because it's um, the, the gun, the empty gun, and then it's in uh, Copley's office, not the, the main place. Yeah. So then by the time that Niall gets there, um, they've been taken away. So I do kind of like, I, I like how it's handled in the movie, but I do I agree with you that I, I that that wrinkle of the the laptop in the cave is, is really nicely done. Yeah, uh, I like, the, well, the one thing I like about the way it's done in the movie is the fact that it puts Niall front and centre. Hmm. And Niall gets to be the hero and save everyone, which is really cool. Um, yeah, because it does. The movie kind of functions in a way. It's like a, a torch passing thing with, yeah. with Niall, and and I think that is um, definite input from Rucker doing changes, but also the director um, Prince Blyford. Like I, I feel like uh, it's it does have a thing because like the whole title, like the old guard, and all, it does feel like a sort of a hand handover, especially with Andy becoming mortal in the in the movie as well um and yeah. like the way she's like showing her the ropes and it's like what well, i'm going to come in here and and save everybody because like what other option have i got now you've just mentioned the fork in the road there andy becoming mortal which is where the paths diverge between the comic and the movie because in the comic in the second arc andy is still immortal but andy is learning Basically, Andy is broken by Noriko. So in the comics, in, through the second arc is basically Noriko's return and Noriko um, bringing Andy over to her way of thinking through drowning torture, which is probably the worst thing that could happen to somebody who's immortal like that, who could drown and continuously come back to life. Um, so, so Noriko kind of 
brings Andy over to her way of thinking to, but, to, uh, think that, to treat people as vermin and just kind yeah. of takes away the last little piece of, of hope that Andy had. The last and thing, thing, like not to like derail your point fully, but I I did like that whole element because it adds a bit of growth to Andy as well because Andy's sort of like the boomer immortal <laughs> where she doesn't understand tech and blah blah blah. But I do like that um, when she's locked in in the in the the boot or for our American friends yeah. the trunk of the car, um, yeah. she's aware of up, updates that have happened. Um, yeah. that will inv- uh, help her escape where um, Quinn is, uh, well, uh, is no sorry Noriko in the book is is, um, is not aware of this and I, I did like that element because it's like there is for all this uh, talk and feel of like her being sort of le- left behind by or her sort of leaving behind time um, she is still up to date on things in a way that makes sense yeah, because, I mean, that would make sense to her, for, for her to know this, because she, um, like, her line of work would probably demand that she would know things like that if she ever had to kidnap anybody. <laughs> so, um, that's why that made sense in my head. Like, if she gets sent on some kind of, like, um, some kind of job where she has to, um, like, assassinate someone, or kidnap somebody she's going to need to know that if she puts him in the boot they've got a way out i guess mm. and that makes it it makes for some reason it makes more it makes sense for her in my head to know that but not know about cameras and everything else in the internet except yeah yeah, definitely. yeah yeah and um yeah i like this so so that the divert so they make andy mortal in the film and by the end of the film andy is on her last life if you like if you imagine um the way this works is like cats and she's used eight of them up like she's on the last one now yeah like she's uh she's she's on the last one before she has to put another quid in the machine kind of thing um so it's like um and she's she's stopped healing and everything else which is the other way they show it because the way they the way they like i was explaining at the beginning at the top of the cat at the top of this episode the way they do the immortality thing in the movie is kind of like a, a healing factor on steroids because it's if you like a like a mutant healing factor for for anyone that reads Deadpool comics or, or Wolverine books, um, and that healing factor has kind of like given up the ghost now because there's the whole scene where she has to go and buy band aids, and somebody has to remind her. That's another reminder of her that people are good, isn't it? Because she she um she gets help from the girl at the counter in the pharmacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a nice little scene. I do, I do like that scene actually, as a, as a reminder that there is there is kindness and goodness in people, and kindness filters on. It, it, you know, she helps Andy. Andy might help somebody else the next day. Pay it forward, kind of thing. I quite do. I do like to believe that the pay it forward thing exists. I do. Yeah, uh, and but... there's kind of a thread going out, going through the movie of like um, women helping women. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like with Niall, uh, her being she's a is she marine. She is. Yeah, uh, her being a marine and like she sent with her team, who are uh, all all female, I believe, and they go and talk to the women in the Af- uh, Afghani town, um, and they're trying to help them because there is um, a I, I don't know what I guess I would say terrorist who is um, 
hiding behind them and keep sort of keeping them hostage. And I did like how it's all sort of, um, it's not like, oh, call in the backup and it's like the dudes roll in, but it's like uh, women helping other, other women and like, because that's the option. And it's like, um, it there is like a thread of that sort of subtly throughout the movie, which I quite like. Hmm. Even what? down to Niall being the one to help rescue them in the end. Yeah, on that note, do you think like me that the chemistry between Niall and Andy is better in the book than it is in the movie? I think it's different because yeah. um, in the book, they have this thing where you've got like millennial Niall and then you've got like uh, sort of... Um, six boomer. millennial Andy. Yeah, six, six, six millennia boomer <laughs> Andy. <laughs> and they have a kind of like cool rapport where it's like... Um, they yeah. call each other names, uh, like the whole squad does, but like they call yeah. each other names and um, they sort of like, uh, they, I don't know, they, they, they gel in, they, they gel in really well and really mm. quickly because it's like, it's a wild situation and they just have to, to, yeah. to get into it. And which makes the end of the uh, second set uh, like super harsh because it's like, it, it it's like yeah. slicing that friendship in half. But th- there's the stuff in the movie that I do like, I think that, um, the fight on the plane is is a good sort of um, yeah character, but obviously they still don't know each other properly at that point. But I think like elements like that mm. do sort of build them up in, uh, in wordless ways. Yeah, um, I I I like the whole kind of like buddy cop action, buddy action movie thing they've got going on in the in the comics. Yeah. Like, the kind of like the lethal weapon type exchanges and the like <laughs> both them driving sports cars <laughs> yeah yeah i love that i love that like that's i that was more for me than andy getting uh than the, i i prefer that to the torch passing hmm. because i like that andy and niall are on equal footing in the comics rather than niall being sort of like it, it feels like it feels like in the in the in the movie like niall is way green and yeah, Andy is yeah. passing the torch to Niall and I like you know and I I prefer it the other way where they're on equal footing I I do when they're doing um, some missions together yeah exactly yeah like you know and and they can count on each other and and Andy is you know just as uh has just as much belief in Niall as Niall has in Andy's ability and such and it's kind of like this 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 kind of like this friendship where they're on equal footing I really do like that um and yeah I think I think that's something that I I think what what you were saying before about them having nicknames for each other and stuff Greg Rooker likes to describe Andy as the uh the the, the world's crankiest grandma um, mm. is something that he said before which I, I quite like that and it's true she is uh, but she's like she's not a grandma she's just a grandma in mind but not in body which is like usually we're treated to characters that are the opposite where they're old of body young of mind but um yeah it's really cool um, I was going to say, like one of the one of the best things about um, this whole thing, actually, in the comic, when you're talking about like women helping women and things like that, is it's such a positive, um, th- like it it's such a bed of positive representation. So we've got like the um, 
like the the way that it positively portrays um same sex romance and and same sex love and everything else rather than it being like a something that's kind of like um there and it's just matter of fact like everyone everyone just knows that Joe and Nikki are a couple and have been a couple for 500 years or whatever and it's just something that they just it is just matter of fact it's not something that is has to be discussed in any way or and then when um, it's discussed it yeah. is discussed just as love and, and like yeah. it gives us one of the best uh, pages in the book one of the best scenes in the mil- movie yes where uh, the, they are captured and the guards are like what is it your boyfriend or something and um, the the declaration of love that uh, we hear is yeah. just so passionate, real, honest, um, and it's just heart on sleeve, everything. And it, it's such a beautiful moment, uh, not just because how it wrongfits uh, and deflects any type of shame that the, the security guards or the henchmen were trying to put on it, but also because it's such a open and honest declaration of love that... We, we generally don't see that anyway, even in like straight relationships, like in an action movie, uh, for someone just to declare their love in that way is usually a bit more perfunctory. But like just to, to get uh, something so uh, so warm and, and caring, uh, but also in the case that it is where it's um, not just a um, uh, not not just a a a relationship of uh, of two gay men, but also uh, people who were enemies in the Crusades. Like it, it has such a I don't know such a rich core to it that um, yeah, it's a it's great. a big snotty punk rock fuck you to everything. Um, that's the way I read that scene. Like it's it's like it's it's like liberating to see it. For for it must be it's like a, a like a liberating thing and it's it's cool and it's like like I said it's a big snot, a snotty punk rock fuck you to, um, like years of reli- like you know religious fundamentalism and everything else it's it's just because it's it's so in the face of like I'm like when you conceive these characters it's like okay so so we've got a a what is essentially a Christian fundamentalist. Yeah, and what is essentially an Islamic fundamentalist in a loving relationship, um, like, and it, it's just completely in the face of of all of that, and it, it's fantastic for that, and it's such, I think it's such positive representation. I love the way it's done in the comic, like these these pages from um, the Old Guard number three, which is where it is. Um, sort of like towards the end of the issue, um, the, the 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 opening with "You are an infant, and your mocking is thus infantile." Like I love that. Yeah. Like, and then he just goes through and he declares his love, and they have like the whole thing and the kiss. Um. And. Like in the movie, the way the guards look at each other when that happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, I love, I love that. But it, 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 it really hits home how kind of wild, um, like the fact that that is such a sort of progressive 
thing to see. It really hits home at like, like a lot of things that this movie does, which should be commonplace, which aren't. Yeah. Uh, So like, uh, like a, a, a big action motion picture with like a a gay couple, and it's like you just never get that ever. And the closest you ever get to it, it will probably be a lesbian couple, because mm. um, that's a bit more tolerable in middle America and to sell overseas. Um, and then you've got like a, quite a, a diverse cast. Yeah, uh, you've got um, a. I think this is the first big budget action movie directed by a black woman mm. which when you think about that this movie came out 2020 it, it is wild, wild. thinking yeah. about it like it, it just should like the fact that there's so many like novel things in here it it does sort of blow your mind like wow it's like if uh you, you just wouldn't you i mean you do consider it when you're someone who's part of the groups but it's one of those things where you just think like for all the the steps forward that happen in other areas, there's there's other areas where, uh, like Hollywood or whatever, is just so safe and risk averse onto things which should just be normal parts of reality. Yeah, uh, and you're always like blown away when you get a first or something that's a novel version of it. Um, it, it is it is it's weird, and it's not it's not something that. Like these things aren't sh- aren't things that should be novel. These things should no. be commonplace by now. We're, we're living in twenty twenty, you know, and it's it's sad that they are novel. <laughs> I guess, in ways, isn't it? Yeah, but then it's also. I mean, it, it's good that we actually are getting these things, and yeah, hopefully, uh, it normalizes normalizes them a bit more. Mm. And, and and this. This is all from the mind of Greg Rooker, and it's to Greg Rooker's credit that this comic exists, and and obviously um, Leandro Fernandez as well for for his beautiful art, and that this comic exists, and that from that they could make this film, that that the comic obviously had enough of an impact to to get its own motion picture, um, and to bring that into a more consumer friendly format because I, I hate having to say this about comics but like they shouldn't be as niche as they are because comics is something that should they comics are a um they're a, a way of consuming media in their own right and they shouldn't be something that are treated as secondary to films or books they should be something where people I, I believe this anyway, that they should be something where people can pick up a comic and experience the story in a comic and not feel like they need to experience that story any other way. I think as well, because uh, in their current form, uh, the sequential art in its current form, not like its uh, uh, predecessor art forms that go back centuries, but in its current form, it's about a similar age as film as well. But mm. I think, like, one of the main differences is um, film is such, like, a passive medium. Yeah. Uh, like, it can be, I mean. So you can sit there and then you're blasted with light and sound um, mm. and you can take it in, especially 
with in this particular case because this is a Netflix movie, so you don't even have to like the barrier to entry is so low. That's you it. just you just need to have a Netflix account or for a lot of people it seems their yeah. friends log in or something and then you can watch uh this adaptation uh and like that's uh two hours on a Friday night for you and, and you, you've consumed it. And, and it's it, two hours well spent. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's great, but but it, it's um yeah, it's kind of it's a weird thing because you have the same thing to a degree of books where more people watch the movie adaptation than read the book. But I think books still have more presti- prestige than comic books um, for the various reasons, um, like just the outlook on, from the general public or seeing them as um, yeah. a, a facile thing. But also, um, uh, I, I think like the medium of like issues and stuff like that uh i I think there's like at least like with a book usually there's just the book Mm. and so it's easier to market because like okay this thing is out on this date and it's the best-selling list and then with comics obviously you get the trade but before then you have the issues and i think that uh, even though you've got things like comiXology and blah 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 i still think that that barrier of entry adds another wall between people getting there and it is annoying but I I think that in some way things are getting better and in some way things are getting worse yeah yeah I I I mean I think it's it's to do with the level of engagement required to engage with each thing so like books require more concentration and engagement than comics do to also it's a solitary yeah. thing. Most people, yeah. I'd say 99.9% yeah. of people read alone. Exactly, Whereas yeah. a Netflix thing, uh, if you've got like a group of people over, I mean, in yeah. the four times, yeah. uh, <laughs> then like it, it's like multiple people watching a thing at the same time. In the before times, he says, around a campfire, two metres apart from everyone else <laughs> wearing a mask, <laughs> telling tales to the gener- to Generation COVID about what came before. Before we all started wearing pieces of car as armor, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> before Brexit fully hit, and before, <laughs> for everything else, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's like it. But what I, I guess, I mean, I hate having to say that about comics, but what I like about the film is that it lowers the barrier to entry, and more people get to experience this great story. And and often, I know it's not yeah. like super, super, super high conversion. But there are uh, there is a percentage of people who, when they watch the movie or something, or they watch the TV show or something, once that TV show or movie have ended, they do seek out the source material, especially if there's more source material than mm. of the TV show or the movie. And I think this this happened with stuff like Umbrella Academy and The Boys, uh, and all these other adaptations. And I think it will, I think it will happen with The Old Guard as well. Yeah. And like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, as well, the source material kind of has more um, more warmth sometimes because it's less it's less compressed. So and it it's like give the you more of the between... details between yeah, things as well. Yeah, it, it's like the the difference between the comics and the movie for the old guard, which I say this a lot with a lot of adaptations, is is the difference between vinyl and MP three. <laughs> 
it's it, the difference between listening to a track on vinyl listening to a track on mp3 like you can sit there and you can put dark side of the moon on on vinyl and you can you could just get so much more out of it listening to it off a record there's just so much more there than like the cold mp3 on spotify i mean i'm not saying the mp3 is bad because it's the same album like listening to just a medium snob (laughs) not a medium (laughs) snob i'm just saying there's a difference (laughs) there is a definite difference i mean i've got nothing against spotify I, i i love spotify i use it on my way to work every morning but you know if i could if if I could have a record player on a backpack. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, no, that would, that's just a horrible idea because when you listen to records, you need to be sitting, like sitting down in a comfortable space where you can just kind of like zone out and trip. But yeah, no. Um, yeah, what, um, I'm going to jump back now to that fight on the plane and I'm going to bring up the vodka because I don't know if this, because, in the movie, um, Andy Andromache is played by Charlie Theron, and I think she... it's. I might be wrong on this because yeah. in my head I always say it the other way, but I think it's Charlie's Theron. Yeah, but my I, mind I, always wants to say Theron, but I think I go it's with, Theron. I always go with Theron, and I think that's because I don't know why I feel like it. it I, I, because I, that's like almost like a French way of saying it. Yeah, and but for some I reason in my it, head, that but you're I think probably it right. Is, yeah, because <laughs> I watched the like interviews with her, and um, yeah, every time people pronounce her name, I was like, oh yeah, it is, it is Theron. But, Theron, but my yeah. my mind, you know, like uh, trying to get Google to remember your new password, it's like that. Yeah. It, it, my brain will not remember the new password. Yeah, I mean, I I've been saying apologies then because I've been saying Theron since the dawn of time. But <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, so, like, the, the vodka thing, right? Because she drinks vodka in a lot of her films. Is this, is this something that's her? Or is this, like, you know, like, because she has the vodka in Prometheus as well. Uh, I don't know how much you know about her as an actress or whether she has, like, an affinity for vodka or whether she promote whether she has a brand of vodka that she promotes or what. I, I don't know about her business stuff. Apart from her being a producer, but yeah. I, I don't know uh, about the connection of her and vodka. But maybe she's got a vodka line. Um, that was just something fun that I, I just sort of noticed that I wanted to bring up this connection between her and vodka. But I, I've got like mild memories of her in an interview saying that she it, she she does love the drink. So maybe that's where it comes from. So like yeah, there's Stolly vodka in Atomic Blonde as well. Yeah. I'm just looking now to see... I'm trying to find out if she has a vodka line or something, because I don't know. Or is or she the face of... Face. Is yeah. The face of Stolly Vodka or something. <laughs> um, because of Atomic Blonde. Let's see. Maybe the vodka thing. Do you think the vodka thing's are an, a, a nod to Atomic Blonde, then? When she does it in uh, um, The Old Guard. I don't know. Maybe there's a... A cut scene from Mad Max Fury Road where she's also drinking vodka. <laughs> she's got vodka on one of those drips instead of blood. If you go back to the Devil's Advocate, she like sips some vodka as well. Yeah. Maybe maybe vodka's just her drink of choice. I don't know, but yes. Yeah, so. yeah, in Monster, she's she's chugging vodka. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, is she actually chugging vodka? Because I've never seen Monster. No, no, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can't say things like that to me. I've never seen that film. It's a great so, film. She watched it. And yeah, she's, a, she's a fantastic actress. Yeah. Um, and she's really good in this as Andy, actually, as well. She plays Andy well. Um, yeah, I, I think what's really good with um, Charlize is that um, I think she's able to do the thing where she can, like, she's good to do, she's good at showing, like, a tortured badass, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and she, there's a lot, a lot of uh, uh, empathy in terms of her characters because um, they never come off as like one note, like, oh, this person's the badass who's seen stuff and they've been through stuff, man, and they just need to kick some ass. But it always does feel like there is a like either a tortured or uh, a, per- a person who's been through stuff. And obviously a, a big um, uh, like touchstone of that when me saying that is some of her most recent action movies like Mad Max and um, Atomic Blonde. Um, and I, I think maybe that's a, a type of role that she's, she's, she's drawn to, but I think she's really good at add, adding a humanity to a, um, a sort of semi-tortured badass. Yeah. What I would have liked more of, um, I don't know if this is a symptom of like the adaptation for movie to make it kind of like more consumable in movie form, but like they, some of the, some of the dialogue in the comics, um, they use like, um, like words and, and like, um, exclamations, like archaic exclamations from middle ages and stuff, which I, I think is a really good touch. And it just kind of gives the characters a little bit more dimension and shows you that they've been around for that long and whatever. Yeah, because this is a, a nitpicky yeah. um, uh, criticism I have of the movie. Uh, and I can understand why they would have done it. But one of my nitpicky, like, I don't really care that much, but it's a, it's a thing to, to talk about, is that um, like suspension of disbelief aside, like I think the book sells more that these are old people adapting to the times than yeah. the movie does because the, the movie to a degree it, it it does but when they're given their backstories and all that but they do seem like highly modern for people yeah. who've been around for so long because normally not normally because there's, there's no such thing as people who are thousands of years old but like <laughs> i i think there'd be a thing like if you look at a lot of older people um, say our grandparents and people of that of those generations. Um, generally, in terms of the way that people operate, is that they have like obviously the, the, I'm just speaking a general generality here. Um, but it, like, there's a generality where like there was there's there's a thing there's like not a peak but like a point where a lot of their likes and stuff uh, they stopped falling in love with stuff to that degree, if you know what I mean. So like yeah. favorite records, favorite movies, stuff like that. It's from a, an earlier period and even their manner of talking, um, unless they're like um, talking a certain way to mock you as a younger person. Um, it, it's all from a certain like time when they sort of, they, they sort of thought they were like, I don't know. It's hard to talk about, but it's like when they solid, solidified more of this is the person I am, and people are always growing until death, of course, but like this is when it's like this is the person I am. 
then that's when like their thing for like new references and stuff like that kind of dips a bit. So then yeah. you're, when you're speaking to someone who's in their 80s, you can sort of tell when their sort of peak of new stuff coming in. Yeah. And it's obviously it's a generalization. I know that lots of old people are into new stuff and even making TikTok memes. But like, you know what I mean? Like as, as, a, as a generality, that's the thing. I, I mean, even if younger people, like people in their 60s and 50s and stuff, I can generally get a thing of like when, you, when, when, their, when your, their time was, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and none of these characters have that really because you'd think these people's time, and I know they have to keep up with the ages because they need to speak a certain way and they need to dress a certain way. But you'd have your thing, wouldn't you? You'd have your yeah. thing from 500 years ago, at least. You would. Yeah. <laughs> like they'd, they'd, they'd have their, their thing. Like, I mean, they have their weapons of choice in the yeah. movie and they have their weapons of choice in the comic, which they use more often in the comic. Yeah. Which kind of like, I don't, they do a better job of showing how old they are in the book. Yeah. And they they have these exclamations from their time, like and these 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 ways of showing they're pissed off, like whereas now you'd probably be like, Oh for fuck's sake. Like back then you might have gone, Oh, you know, f- fucking mother of pigs or something like that. But mm. it's like they have their way of doing it and, and also you'd I, speak in one of the other languages that you learned ages ago more. Yeah. So. You wouldn't well, I mean, like, the whole point is that, that these guys have been... They've learned to speak every language on Earth, haven't they? And that does come up in the film when they start... Uh, when they're in Africa. And um, they see the, the people walking... They, they, they kind of, like, meet um, some some women uh, when they're on their way to go and, and free... The, fr- supposedly free those girls from their captors. Uh, the mission that Copley sent them on, um, and they they say peace be with you, don't they? But in in the language of the the people whose country they're in, yeah. South Sudan, if I remember, South Sudan, yes, it's it, they say peace be with you. Be in in Sudanese, they say peace be with you, um, and um, it's just like that kind of alludes to the fact that they can speak every language on earth because they speak French and they speak uh, all these other languages, Italian. Um, but like, I don't know, like, yeah, you, you'd think that they would have ways of saying things like archaic ways of saying things or archaic ways of doing also, things. Also they like they just have, uh, cause they have like in jokes where they just rib each other. They'd have yeah. also, uh, sort of archaic in jokes with each other as well. They would. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cause think even about like our friend groups and we're in our thirties and stuff. Uh, a lot of our like references and stuff like that obviously will be pop culture based but a lot of the time as well we'll be referring to shared experiences together but Mm. over the last like 10 years and even then it's not like um yeah you can sort of tell when we grew up (laughs) if you know what i mean so like yeah it it, like i can see why you, you would avoid that maybe in a film adaptation if you wanted to be a bit more clean in terms of conveying yeah. information but it is a a bit of flavor a bit of personality that is lost mm. in the in the adaptation another argument for why it should have been a television show yeah definitely <laughs> um i'd like to point out that the casting as well um i actually feel like you know um 
because in the in the so we'll talk a little bit about the art in the comics first because this kind of feeds one feeds into the other so in the comics we have these like heavy shadows and flat colors and you get this like noir environment but it's not noir because it's not in black and white it's just heavy shadow which gives it that noir edge which is really cool we've got like characters with exaggerated features and expressions on characters faces that are exaggerated where it's exaggerated to the point that it's it's like fairly cartoon but it doesn't lose the realism it doesn't lose the edge and like what i'd like to the casting is like spot on for what the characters look like in the book yeah the casting is really good because it's like it's like ridiculous even down to booker has the same facial features as his character in the book. Yeah. It's like it's like how they get that spot on is ridiculous. It's fantastic. I'll say the biggest divergence is probably Andy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because how are you going to get somebody <laughs> who possibly resembles anybody from 6,000 years ago? <laughs> But even just like her, her like her modern design, because in the book yeah. she has like long hair and stuff. I do mm. like uh, the style of Andy in the film. Yeah, but then it's just because yeah. she looks badass. But um, yeah, like um, I think that might unconsciously add to the whole thing of like she doesn't feel like she's six thousand years old, which is obviously no. a dumb thing to say. But yeah. I mean, more so like she feels super modern. Which yeah. is why I think that they spent a bit of time on those flashbacks to sort of hammer that yeah. home a bit. She's she's more Angelina Jolie in the books. Yeah, yeah, she is very yeah. much so. Yeah, <laughs> that I was trying to think today who she reminded me of, and I'm thinking like Angelina Jolie in Tomb Raider, and I think it's yeah. because of the hair. But yeah, especially um, because when she's got it all braided up in the yeah in the yeah. second second or, batch, yeah, or Angelina Jolie in Wanted. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> definitely has that but yeah definitely the wanted vibe because in one yeah. she's like a bit older and she's like the mentor person yeah and she's a she's a bit more barbaric as well like she's got like because the way andy comes across to me is she's kind of like um conan the barbarian in a way mm. she has this kind of like conan-esque way of being and doing things like she's very set in her ways she's very surly she's very She's she's very strong and she just looks menacing. Like in the comics, like if you, she just everything she does, she does with purpose and with a little bit of temper behind it. It's like even when she's just putting her shoes on, yeah, yeah, you kind of, you kind of get that from her, you know. So, uh, not to go off too much on the casting, but yeah. like, do you? Uh, do you think they sort of combined uh, Lycan's character with Achilles from the book? Quite possibly. Because it seems in the in the film, it, when he's like, we see the scenes of him with her and she's dying, there seems to be more of a romantic yeah. uh, relationship there. And also he's um, a black man, uh, which Achilles was in, uh, in the book. And it, it does feel sort of like a nod to that. Which I thought, kind of, yeah. I, which I thought, like if you got no time, it's mm. kind of a an a uh, I don't know a an efficient thing to do. Because in the book, Lycon's Greek, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a Greek warrior, but yeah, it. it I guess they kind of like kind of combine the two into one instead of making them. Yeah, that makes sense. 
But yeah, going with, um, with, the, with the cast, as you were saying. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think the... Um, I, re- I do. I really like uh, Kiki Lane as uh, as Nile. Uh, yeah, Because yeah. Kiki Lane, I'd seen her in um, uh, uh, why has my brain gone gone empty? Um, the uh, if Bill Street could talk, of course. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. um the the main uh, the lead in if if, uh, if Bill Street could talk, and she is really good in that movie. Uh, so when I heard she was casting this, I thought, oh, it's cool because. Um, that movie is uh, her role in that movie is one of more. It's more. Uh, she's more like timid, uh, or she, she's more like. Uh, uh, it's hard to describe it because she's more a, a softer person in that. Yeah, and she's yeah. De- she's a softer person dealing with like a, a, a horrible situation in that in that uh, in that film, and in this, uh, I think that she is able to keep the sort of uh, empathy that we have, especially because when we meet her, she's like, despite being part of the, a Marine, she's like quite a nice person. Yeah. But then I, I think that um, she's able to be a good audience surrogate in the way that she's always asking questions. And um, yeah. is, she, she, she's not really quick to go with it all. She's not really like, oh, cool, I'm immortal. She's more like, what the hell are you talking about? And it, it gives a bit of friction. Yeah, she she's, like you were saying earlier in the cast, she's there to bring us into it. She We inhabit her as an avatar kind of thing. Mm. And we experience these other guys and being immortal through her eyes. Like, especially down in the movie, especially more than in the comic, but in the movie where she discovers that she's immortal and like her struggling to dealing with it and then running off and listening to Frank Ocean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, that, like, uh, movies can always, like, win me over by doing dirty tricks like that. And, yeah. uh, like, th- that was an element of this movie doing that for me. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, um, yeah, and, like, in the action signatures, she holds her own pretty, pretty well. Yeah. Um, as well, especially during the the big final con- confrontation. Mm. But um, yeah, I think like across the board because um, like Chilter Edger for is like you can always count on him to be awesome, yeah. Yeah. and like he plays a role in this, which he plays like in similar movies as well. So I think in the Angelina Jolie, an- yeah, Angelina Jolie movie Salt, he plays a very similar type of character, mm. uh, and uh, and he's like really good with. Um, that type of like knowledgeable behind the curtain person who he's kind of an enemy but also kind of an ally type thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's 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 really good actually. He's a really good um, agent Copley. Yeah, like he he gets that down that agent Copley stuff. Like, and um, I'll be looking forward actually to seeing how they adapt the second arc. So. Because there's, there's obviously going to be a sequel to this movie and the direction they're taking it in. And then I think the whole idea is that they want to do three movies to go with the three parts of the book. I get the idea from looking at various like articles and things like that, that that is what they're going for. Hmm. Um, and I want to see how they're going to adapt the second arc and how they're going to... Um, 
how they're going to bring in the stuff with um in the book Andy and Noriko if they're even going to do it that way yeah because um, you've got like is it a post credit sequence I think it might actually be post it, it's not po- it's post credits post the it's post the first part of the credits it's post oh, mid credits start cre- yeah, mid credits so- yeah so with, uh, which is on. almost like uh, it's almost like pitch for pitch from the comic, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's like panel for panel. Booker stumbling home drunk, smashing a bottle, opening his front door, and um, it's a little bit more dramatic in the comics because he draws his gun and everything, and he's <laughs> and like, then she's like jumping around the room doing kicks, yeah. and there's like henchmen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a fight scene in the comic, but in this, he's just like draws his gun, and she's just standing there with a glass of water, just like hi kind of thing and there's Quinn like waiting for him like I'm not dead you know um which is kind of alluded to anyway because we kind of know she must be alive if someone's dreaming about her because that's how these immortals work yeah um but like in the comics um like that is the beginning of the second arc that is like the opening few pages of um Force Multiply part one isn't it yeah um, Quinn's still alive uh, Noriko, Quinn or Noriko, still alive, and um, she is. Um, she she takes Booker prisoner, basically. She's trying to get him to give up the locations of the others so she can get to Andy. Um, even though Booker has no idea where they are because Booker's just been exiled for a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. Um, for his betrayal, and um. We are then introduced to another new character who is, um, is he CIA or is he just F? He's FBI, isn't he? He's a Fed. Who? Um, Niles, um, the guy that Niles. Oh contacts. yeah, yeah, he's FBI. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what's the name of the character. I can't remember. Uh, Moose. Moose, that's it. M- it Mustafa. Name? Yeah. So Niles contacting the FBI. Nile Nile keeps because what they do is. Um, they're using their abilities for good at this point. And you've got Niall and Andy um, going around like characters from the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Driving sports cars with Bluetooth headsets on because they're family. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, like breaking up like um, people trafficking and things like that. Uh, the, so like the whole, the whole thing, the overarching theme through the comics... Um, that doesn't really get brought forward as much in the movie is the um, the value of life and the over the the overall arching theme through the comics. It is like amusing on the value of life and kind of like the value of life when when death has no meaning. So like what value does life have to somebody who who where where life isn't finite if you understand what i'm trying to get across mm. yeah yeah um and you've got like this whole kind of like overarching um like theme through the whole thing and um it brings up the question of like is one life worth is one person's life being worth more than another person's life and um and and in with that, like, 
the question of, you know like slavery and all that kind of stuff as well which is is touched on more in the second uh, arc of comics because it transpires that Andy used to be into some pretty shady stuff back in the day mm. uh, I'm talking way back in the day like probably like 3000 years back in the day <laughs> whatever maybe maybe longer than that but she was a slaver at one point in her life um and what it boils down to is the arc opens with them ending uh, like like busting open a people trafficking ring and and trying to um like take down people traffickers and slavers modern slavery and things like that um and by the end of it it's like Niall and Andy coming to blows over the whole thing because Andy at one point was as bad as they were and this is what Noriko is now into, is was part of one of the things that Noriko is now into since coming back out of the water. It's one of the thing, one of the many pies that she has a finger in, hmm. uh, being the head of this like uh, multinational crime conglomerate or whatever. Um, and uh, it's the reason Noriko ends up getting involved is because what they're doing is directly affecting Noriko's business. So as they're getting closer and closer to the source of who's who's trafficking these people around the world and bring you know like bringing like like running this kind of like slavery thing that's this modern slavery thing that's going on in the comic they're getting closer and closer to Noriko anyway because Noriko's at the top um and it's Andy kind of like losing the Andy's trying to find a reason to carry on after 6000 years and she, the reason she's found eventually to carry on is the fact that she can help people and she can use her gift to make the world a better place, which is what her and Nyla are doing, which is what is another thing that's brought into the movie from the second arc. So it's another thing we're treated to earlier in the film than we are in the comic is the fact that um, these guys have made the world a better place by by choosing to do what they believe is the right thing, which is what they're doing more consciously by yeah, the second and it, arc of the comic. And it, it's in a more um, uh, explicit uh, way, more than then their actions are causing general good, but it's the fact that like um, Copley is, is able to trace that someone that they uh, rescued from a, a particular um, disaster and a particular war, they went on to become... Uh, like I mean, in in the book, it's about someone whose parents were killed by the Soviets, and they went on to become they won like the mathematic version of the Nobel uh, Prize, and yeah, they've gone on to do good. And I think the general thing, which is like echoed in the movie, in in a a, a more <laughs> sort of web of like all the tracing back all, all their acts, is that certain people that they saved have gone on to do really good things. Like I can't remember mm. the examples from the movie, but it's, it's stuff like this person created a cure for this disease and this person went on to do this thing, which helped all these different people. And it's yeah. like, it, it adds more of a universal, um, as in like universal power or like the powers that be type thing of like the reason behind why they got random immortality is, um, the, it's almost as if, as if they're like setting the, uh, on a course correcting, the world and like making it a better place by um uh, get um making sure people who are going to make 
uh, actual change are saved from whatever tragedy or disaster they're part of. Yeah, and this is like more over in the movie than it is in the comic. Yeah. Uh, in the comic, it's kind of like alluded to and then it becomes more apparent in the second arc because that's what they're actively trying to do by that point. Um, but then like Noriko's whole thing is that she's trying to convince Andy that it's all meaningless and she's trying to bring Andy over to her brand of nihilism. And, Which is almost um, like accelerationism to, to a degree, yeah. isn't it? Where yeah. she's like, I want to help these people along in, in their tragedy. Yeah. And then we're devils but, sent here, not gods. Yeah. Which comes back to the uh, the, the kind of like um, League of Shadows or uh, if you want to take the Marvel angle, the hand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, and um, she... She kind of, by the end of it, she has kind of succumbed to it. In a way, I yeah, don't definitely. like. I hate the way it ends. I mean, is this supposed to be the old guards version of the Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, I think because because <laughs> it's it's all ha- they're, they're having beer and pizza, and then and then Andy's having like a mental breakdown, and they just fucking leave her there, and it's just like, oh man. And then Noriko turns up and kind of like offers to pick up the pieces, kind yeah. of yeah. And then Andy is now back with Noriko by the looks of it. And like, no, can, oh, sorry, can complete your your thought. That that was my point. Yeah. I was going to say, like, if you go back and then look at the two arcs of the books, which uh, like five five books, five issues each. Yeah. There, it's kind of different, isn't it? Because there's not actually, there's not like a mission. And then as part of the mission, we're finding out all these different things. Uh, the mission part is actually quite tiny because the main um, the main push of the first arc is that um, people know that they're immortal now. And it's made, it's the, uh, the farmer guy um, kidnapping them yeah. to try and reverse engineer the process. And so it's quite a personal thing. It's not like a mission they're doing. And then the second arc is kind of like that stuff is there in like mm. the human trafficking, but really the arc is that Noriko has beef and they're um, they're trying to deal with that. So it's, again, it's a personal thing, and it's like really yeah. there's no um, there's no sort of like uh, MacGuffin-y or like sort of mission structure, and I think that um, considering that that's not there. It still works in a in a way because, and I think what that allows us is more time spent yeah. with these characters. Like it's actually the, the characters and their issues are at the forefront, whether uh, as opposed to it being a case of they're on a mission to save the world from something, and then we get these bits of story um, handed in. And I thought that was uh, a novel way to. Uh, tell two arcs like this it, it keeps it quite personal and like so yeah. the, the focus is on the actual characters rather than their mission yeah it's it, it it it's what keeps it to kind of like this this thesis on the value of life and um how how the how you would deal with immortality if you were immortal how these people are dealing with their immortality and how they're dealing with the consequences of their immortality and um, what they're do, what they're choosing to do with their immortality, 
Because you can imagine like a longer run or even say a generic TV show where it's like um, it's like the A-Team where they've mm. got like Merc thing of the week and it's like you've got the immortal people so you send the immortal people in there. But I think the issue you'd get with that is because um, because they are immortal, they wouldn't have any hiccups so you'd need to have an Oracle type straight away um, causing hiccups. Yeah. So um, it, it, it makes sense the, the path they've chosen. But I did think it was interesting to to approach the story in this way because mm, definitely especially when there's like other ways um that you could do it that we have seen before so i, I did think that's interesting but i do wonder if that um robs the film of some momentum in a way mm. and yeah, and, and that and that's why we say we've been saying it could have possibly be, been even better as a tv show it could have been because they could have um yeah, it would it would have had more space to breathe, wouldn't it? Mm. Is and it would have. It, yeah, you're right. It, it, the movie because of the way the movie because it's because it's into the it's it's crammed into two hours. I think that's what what kind of like flattens the like cut, cut, slashes its tires slightly, like you say. Yeah. Um, and then. I want to come back to Stephen Merrick because you started saying about the differences between the two types of Stephen Merrick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, I think that um, I like the two ideas of him. Uh, yeah. like the comic idea of, like, this American farmer bro and uh, who, who has his big office in Dubai. And then I like the, the concept of the British farmer bro with his office in, uh, in London. Yeah. Um, but I kind of feel for 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 the movie, he's not enough of an antagonist. No, he's just this like sticky, clammy, slimy man. Yeah. Like, so then he looks he looks sweaty. Yeah, he looks like yeah. complete, like just complete wet douche. Yeah. And um, I think that does eat some. Uh, I don't know what the word is, but it. it, it it, it removes some enjoyment and pleasure from the sort of mini heist to rescue everybody because yeah. ultimately it's this guy and his only thing is uh, he like, he becomes sort of one dimensional yeah, in a way that doesn't really work in films as much as it can work in say comics to a degree. Yeah. Like, like he, um, <clears throat> he, doesn't really have any um, any exterior sort of feeling or thought or anything like that. It's just I want to experiment on these people because I, and I and so I can have the corner on this drug that I can make of them. Yeah, uh, like there doesn't seem to be of like like I think always think like more interesting villains are ones where you can see it from their point of view. And it's actually like it, it, it's semi virtuous from their point of view. It's just they're going about it the wrong way. Um, I think those always make for more interesting villains because you're like, oh, I could see how you'd get there. Like, I know why uh, Thanos wants to uh, click half of the existence away. Uh, like, I don't think it's a good reason, but I can see how he got there. Whereas this guy, he doesn't really have any motive other than like, Sort of boring capitalism but not even explored in a yeah 
in a really insightful way. And I think that he works better. His incarnation in the book works better because in that he's more, he's less, he's not really set up as the big bad in a way. He's just the douchebag who's taken um, a couple of them that they they need to um, get to rescue, but he's not really the focal point. He's just, we need to infiltrate his place and do what needs Mm. to be done. Whereas in the movie, that character in, in that incarnation is set up as like a big bad. Yeah, I don't think it works as well. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, because in the in in the comic, it's he's more egotistical, and you know, it's more about what he can get from it because he wants to be immortal, doesn't he? Yeah. In the comic, you get the impression that he wants the immortality. Yeah, yeah, like, it's like it's for him. Yeah. Yeah, he wants to live forever. He wants to be immortal. He wants to go on being this egotistical frat boy douche. And then uh, in the in the um, in the in the movie, it's it's like he's doing this, but it's it's for capitalism because he just wants to make money. Which and, which does obviously make more sense because he's a yeah. farmer guy. Of course, he'd want to create some sort of pill that gives people I don't know. That fifty years extra life or something like that. Yeah. yeah, you can like cure diseases and stuff like yeah. that. And like he's got the patent and all of that. That does all make sense. But like, like he doesn't, he doesn't read uh, as an authentic, yeah, arch arch nemesis. No, he he feels too, um, too yeah, like too ineffectual. Too, in yeah, too ineffectual. Yeah, and then his uh, his scientist that's working for him. Mm. Like she's just more or less a sadist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so her character is purely to be like this kind of like sadistic scientist. Like, she's not. Um, she's in it for the Nobel Prize, but you get the thing that she's kind of enjoying doing this to people. <laughs> like, it's weird. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I don't. I, I. I. think. I. I think. I like the way they do that in the comic better. I. I do. I think it. It comes over much better in the comic. But then again, is that this thing that in the comic it has the space to be less overt? Yeah, probably. Because mm. I reckon if we had a TV show, we would have been with this uh, farmer bro for more time. Yeah, and we would have found out that he has some backstory, where like a family member or something. Uh, died due to some thing that they couldn't control. So now he's got this thing against the world where it's like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm not going to try and write (laughs) a TV show in my head. But, um, like, you you know, you'd spend more time and and build up and have a better idea of what what this person's motivation is or why they are such a sadistic douchebag uh, rather than him just being this sort of cartoon. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I think that brings us on to, um, where the comic leaves us because we were getting to, before we jumped back and started talking about Stephen Merrick, we were coming to the end of the second arc of the comic, which, um, parts of it are included in this movie. Parts of it have yet to be adapted, which will probably be in the, I think they, they plan to do a sequel to the movie. I'm pretty sure. So. I mean, it did, it did well for Netflix, I believe, so. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to see how they adapt it and what happens with 
some of the other stuff in the um in the comic and how they bring that in now that they've taken this other direction with Andy being mortal. Um and uh the 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 third arc of the comic, which isn't out yet but has been teased, is um the old guard fade away. Um which we are treated to a teaser page at the end of um Force Multiplied issue five. Um and I am really, really looking forward to it. I don't think there's a date for it yet or anything, but it's uh, this teaser page is the old guard will return one last time. And we've just got their weapons just broken and, and you know, strewn across the ground, blood, uh, the sun ominous. <laughs> shining over. Yeah, the old guard fade away. And it looks super ominous and super cool. And it's something that I am, like super looking forward to like i really really want to really want to see that like i I want these comics (laughs) (laughs) i want the next five i'm assuming it's probably going to be another five issue set because that's the kind of format it's taking like in in all in all it will be 15 issues and three three trades um but yeah, I want to see what they do with it, and I want to. I'm interested to see where they take us with the films and everything. And I'm sure that we'll come back to it and revisit it and do another episode like this, where we talk about um, the third arc, and by then possibly the next film. I don't know, but we'll see. Uh, depending on how how and when this comes along, I guess. Um, have you got anything else that you'd like to bring up, Leon, about the film? Or the comic? No, I'll just say overall, um, the two volumes of the comic I quite enjoyed. I thought they were a fresh idea uh, and explored in a fun way. And I think that um, I, I, I like how the framing devices are done in a lot of issues um, where like uh, the sort of voiceover we get at the start pays off at the end. And I think they had a good good flow from issue to issue. And mm. um and like then speaking about the movie, I think that the movie's quite a, a faithful adaptation in in a good way. And I think that the changes they made for the most part did stop the movie being bogged down in, in certain ways and, and made it a fun action movie. Um there's stuff like if there's a sequel that I'd like to see them do a bit better and uh, focus more time on. But overall, I I, I enjoyed the movie. I, I, I didn't love it, but uh, I I had a had a good time with it, and I think it does a lot yeah. right. I no surprise, but I overall I prefer the comic to the film. Um, I really I did enjoy the film. Uh, there are some things where, like I've expressed during the cast, where I, I would have preferred it to have been a television series. I think they would have got more out of it. Um, I think I would have gotten more out of it had it been a television series instead of a film. Um, but as a feature film, as an action movie, it was it's great fun. And I can sit down and I can watch it and I can enjoy it and it's fantastic. Um, I love that the story itself for the comic and the film it plays with the action genre in such a such a great way and kind of like tilts and tips and twists things in such a fun interesting way and i like that it's 
such a positive, like such a, a kind of like a beacon of positive inclusion as a film and a, and a comic story with um, the characters in there and everything else. And, and like we've mentioned in the cast with the, the, uh, the romance between Joe and Nikki and things like that and, and putting women front and center like the film does. Hmm. And the way in which the movie um, does that in as accessible as a Netflix film, um, the way it plays with the action genre and, and like I've, I've expressed before about how like it plays with the meaning, the, the value of life and everything else and, and explain and kind of like is amusing and overarching musing on the value of life and, and how, how is, is one life more valuable than another, etc. And how do you like, how valuable is life when life is, when life, like it's like the value of life when, when life is, is, isn't finite and, and Mm. things like that. And, and these kind of like high concept things that it kind of like bands about with and kind of gets you thinking about, which is cool. Um, and yeah, so overall, I think I think um, they're both great. I think the comic is a more graceful instrument than the film, like the difference between a sword and a cudgel or a club. Um, <laughs> but like, I I overall prefer the comic, and I think um, I think I would recommend both. Though I think I would recommend both to anybody. I think you should check them both out. I'm excited for where this goes and where they carry on with it, and. Um, yeah, if you get the chance, please go and check out the first two arcs of the comic because they're absolutely fantastic. And it's, yeah, it's a really cool um, progressive action story and you should check it out because I, I for one, rate it very highly and I've talked about it on the cast before. I know I have, even if I can't find where I have. <laughs> I can't give you the specific episode because that's lost to the sands of time, unfortunately. But it's somewhere around the first five. Ep- it's going to be episode one, uh, three or five, I think. So it's one of those two, because that's about when the first comic dropped and I would have been in the comic shop going, yes, please. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, more of it, please. I cannot wait for the third arc of these uh, fantastic, fantastic books. And it's a credit to Greg Rooker. Um, all of this coming from his mind and then him adapting him adapting his own work for film and doing it so faithfully and creating such a faithful adaption and working so hard to do that is really great. And um, just, yeah, I mean, hats off, like, credits-wise to the rest of the team that worked on the comic because it is such a beautiful book. Like, I could stare at it for hours and I've talked about it for hours, so there Yeah, the character design's great. The uh, the motion, the action is is cast really cool. I, I love the colouring in it. Um, oh, God, yeah. It yeah. remains, like, um, vibrant um, and... Uh, like it has so many tones in it uh, and matching all the like, cause they like globe truck quite a lot. Um, but it, it ma- manages to find the beauty in all these different locations. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous book and the environments are rendered gorgeously and it has this beautiful noir feel, even though yeah. it's in full vibrant color, it has this beautiful noir feel to it and everything is so flowy and so fluid and the shadows, um, shadow stuff looks really good as well. Yeah, and the action beats, those action beats. That's my, if I had to, if, if someone was going to ask me for a comic where the action is good, for, well, like, well, I could give you multiple comics where the action is good, but for a comic where I have seen the best action I've seen in a comic, like, 
my favorite action panels, my favorite action pages, I would say the old guard, hands down. It's got some of the best action. It really has. Um, and some of the way that that's rendered on the page and some of the way that that is um, panel by panel, like played out. And, and the way they translate that into the film as well is just absolutely fantastic. I love it. But yeah, so that has been episode number 95 and that wraps us up for The Old Guard. We don't have a pull list this week, but there are a couple of things that I will bring up at the end of this episode. First of all, um, I want to express my sadness at the passing of Chadwick Boseman and um, that yeah I mean like the the what he brought to the Black Panther character and what he brought to the screen um, when he brought the Black Panther to life and like the things he has done for like for that character to bring to bring that character into the spotlight and the things that he's done in general like in his short time his his time as an actor in in cinema the films he's been in and everything else like his legacy the legacy that he leaves behind is is just something else and i just i just want to say r.i.p chadwick boseman yeah no i definitely want to echo your sentiments there um like it was a, a massive uh shock for me um when the the news came out um i couldn't couldn't believe it because um he just seems so young he always seems like he was 10 years younger than he was and yeah. um it, it was just such a shock and yeah it, it's been i found it quite uh quite tough with, with that particular news because it's like um just on various different levels it's kind of scary because um like the fact that he had his diagnosis in 2016 and the yeah. fact that most of the world knows of him because of the films he made from 2016 onwards is just it's it's wild to comprehend. I can't even really imagine what it's like to have stage three uh, cancer um, and be like bulking up for roles as like T'Challa or yeah, like that must um, have been so difficult for him yeah. to, have con- to to have continued working like he did through that and, and like. To- yeah. Yeah, like and, and it's like it's not just like he was getting ready for a role, he was had to carry the movie and like with all the stresses of, of, of that stuff. And I think that uh one of the things that was really good with, with Chadwick, and this is across all of his roles, um, is that he was I think he knew the weight of, of the work he was doing and like he's uh, started as Jackie Robinson in 42. He was uh, James Brown in Get On Up. Uh, he was Fergus Marshall in the movie Marshall. Um, and he uh, was T'Challa, Black Panther. And I think yeah. that he knew, like, these are, I mean, most of these are, like, real people uh, and, like, uh, black men who've, uh, who, like, did big things and were, were changed the paradigm. In, in their in their various different areas, whether it be in uh, music, sport, or in uh, in uh, like the law, um, and I think that uh, he it was really it seemed to be a big thing for him to portray these icons and to get these icon stories onto the screen, 
And for many cases, like beyond TV movies, a lot of the, these stories of these people weren't, weren't, were not told. And I think that was something that was a priority to him. And then obviously with Black Panther, I think that it, it was like, it was important to him to have this big screen black superhero out there. And um, I think that he just carried that all in, in, in with such grace and um, he didn't phone anything in. And one of the things that was like an aftershock of like further grief is beyond the actual news of him dying was like, like just hearing people talking about like, how do I tell my, my black kids that Black Panther's dead? And it is like, yeah, yeah it's like to whether to, to like black kids or like kids of all colors across the world. Like yeah. he was, he embodied this, this, this hero. And like, yeah, a lot, a lot of people sometimes don't really understand what the benefit is of um, like representation, especially for like uh, conglomerates that people would say like, um, like who cares about like a Black Panther or like uh, a Mulan or something like that um, because it's like, it's a big corporation behind it. Um, and it's like, I can understand an element of that argument, but I think what that argument misses is that uh, representation on the big screen and in media is important and it does have an effect. And um, I think people don't really understand the power th- that is evident in seeing um, either yourself or someone who doesn't look like what you always see on the big screen and in in a virtuous uh, heroic role. And I think that you can't undersell the impact that had for so for so many people, especially uh, uh, kids. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's definitely yeah. um, like shocking and definitely sad, but it I is. do I do think that um, his legacy will uh, will will live on, and I think that mm. through his through his roles playing different icons, um, I think that he's helped sort of, uh, solidify himself an, as an icon. And it, it is sad because not only was he a really good actor, but he was also like a playwright, and I can see him getting into directing i think he's he had done a few um done a few plays and um it, it just feels like it just cut so short like he, he felt like he was he was just just beginning and i, I mean, there would have been decades more of um great roles and great work done by him and um yeah it's it's tough to see that um see that ended he was he was just coming into his like um his kind of like this was him kind of like blossoming into his kind of like the 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 golden age of his career almost yeah yeah his, him like... writing plays and directing and everything else and and the 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 things that the characters that he was portraying on the screen like you've mentioned and the legacy that he's now going to leave behind and like for that to be cut so short and so sudden because nobody knew anything about this and then all of a sudden wham yeah yeah and yeah it, it's uh it, it it is it's, it's a trip, um, and but I I can only like look towards the positive side of it, and that's like the impact that he's had on people isn't gone, and I think that um, 
I, I think that he'll be a good example for a lot of people who are sort of coming up and doing their own thing. And I think that here his work will speak for itself for forever, really. And um, I think that um, he is someone that, uh, that the impact of what he's done will be felt in future generations that we, we can't even comprehend yet. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a tragic loss, and it, it did uh, it did 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 hit did hit me when I when I found out about it. Yeah, definitely. Like it it hit me as well, and I've seen some um, some kind of heartbreaking stuff where kids have been kind of like holding funerals with their Avengers toys. And yeah, things. have you seen any of that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like really sad. Um, but it's like the legacy of. That, that he'll leave behind by, by playing... Because we talk a lot about this on, on the Ace Comicals cast and it's kind of like one of the core things that we believe in as Ace Comicals is that everybody should be able to open a comic and find themselves in there and feel comfortable in that place. Comics and it should be a, a, a place where people can feel comfortable and find themselves represented. And I do truly believe that. And I think everybody should have a hero or a champion that represents them in the pages of a comic or in, in the scenes of a film. And I think that's what Chadwick Boseman represents to a lot of people and to a lot of these kids. Like, he, he, because he, he is the Black Panther. Like, he is, he is T'Challa. And to a lot of these kids, it was, it was like them finding that in, in film and, and, and finding that kind of like, that, that safe place and seeing that representation and having that in front of them and having that, that kind of, um, that bit of driftwood to yeah. kind of hang on to, which is, yeah. Um, and that's the thing. I would just encourage people to, uh, check out some of his movies, like, especially if you only really know him from, uh, Black Panther and Civil War and like the Avengers movies. Um, Definitely check out some of the other work that he did because, like the biographies that he did, um, that I mentioned earlier, uh, they're really good, and he's he's particularly uh, really good in them as well. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to add as well that at the minute, um, Comicsology have got um, a lot of the Black Panther comics uh, for free, single issues um as kind of a tribute so if you if you want to head over if you if you want to head over to comicsology or um you can um get yourself some uh, some free black panther comics because they've got them they've got them up there as like kind of like a tribute kind of like for free at the minute um which is something that kind of like it kind of helps a little bit i guess kind of eases the pain slightly but yeah uh, there we go yeah definitely um and um yeah so that closes us out that has been uh ace comicals episode number 95 um before we do fully close out marv sent us a question um and this is um this is something that i found quite difficult to answer actually because i don't think i've really seen a lot of this in the wild so he sent us a question here he's like um he sent us a, he basically he said that he's seen uh in the wild 
while he was at work, he'd seen a guy with the um, the Joker. Uh, you, you know the um, the Suicide Squad Joker. Yeah, he'd seen a guy with the you know the the, the how he's got a tattoo on his hand of the smile, and he puts the hand in front of his face, and he's got yeah like a yeah. Big sm- yeah he's seen a guy with that tattoo, but for realsies, like in the wild, right? So his his question is, um, with that kind of example, like this, these these people having these like tattoos that they've seen in the film, like the Joker tattoos and things. Like, what's the strangest comic related tattoo piercing or clothing choice you've come across in the wild? And I struggle to answer this because I can't really think of anything as wild as having that Joker hand tattoo. To be honest, so I don't know if I've seen ever seen anything on that level or anything that weird. But what about you, Leon? I think like it's a tough one because I haven't I haven't seen anything of that I haven't seen something that I'd call specifically weird weird. But the closest thing I could say is probably um, there was someone that I sort of knew. They were like a friend of a friend who on their calf they just had a full on full color tattoo of Vegeta from Dragon Ball, uh, and it was it looked kind of massive. <laughs> And like it's not particularly weird, I guess, because it, a lot of people get uh, characters from manga, anime, and comics and stuff on them. But it 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 was striking in a way that it wasn't striking of like, oh, cool, like the art It just it looked like someone had had a stick, a massive sticker of Vegeta on on their on their calf, and it was odd. I mean, it was a choice, but yeah. um, it's not particularly. Like weird, it's not like a damaged tattoo on someone's forehead, or or, or even the the, <laughs> the mar- hand tattoo. Yeah, it's not even it's yeah. not even the hand one, but it, it it's still it's striking in a way where and this this person used to wear shorts a lot as well. Um, I bet it was just striking in the way of like, oh yeah, that's there. <laughs> it never was, oh yeah, that's the tattoo they've got. It was like, oh yeah, that's there. It's like super yeah. Technicolor Vegeta looking back at you. See, I've seen a lot of things where like people wearing t-shirts with panels from hentai comics and things i've seen a lot of that i wouldn't necessarily say that's in the wild wild because that was in a in a convention environment but it's still pretty like why would you wear that even there you know yeah like in the ahigo shirts that you can get and things like that and i guess that's <laughs> kind of comics adjacent you can isn't take it? that but, off yeah <laughs> But, you know, it's like that um, I've seen people um, in in public with um, like uh, Naruto headbands on and things like that. But then again, I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't call that. That's just lazy cosplay. Yeah, I wouldn't call that. I wouldn't call that straight. Yeah, I, I don't want to call that strange or weird because it's not because it's just people expressing themselves. No, I want to see a face tattoo of the headband all around the person. <laughs> now, yeah, if I'd seen someone with with the headband <laughs> tattooed on their head, then I'd be thinking about you know like maybe that's on a similar level to what Marv is talking about. Um, I've seen. Um, I've not. I think I've seen any like strange piercings or or like. Um, I don't know, because most tattoos I've seen where people have had tattoos of, like, characters they enjoy or, like, uh, comic book characters they like, things like that, it's it's usually, like, quite tasteful mm. and and done in quite a kind of, like, a, a, 
a kind of like a cool tribute way. Like I've seen a lot of people with like um, small Naruto tattoos. They've got like the um, uh, Sharingan thing on the back of their neck or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah, that's Mark. Mark's talking about like an, a Hagayo face tat. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is this is. But I'm trying to like. <laughs> I can't think of anything like that where I've seen anything like that at all. This is the thing you see. So um, I can't think I've ever seen anything on the level of having the Joker hand tattoo. Like I really can't. Like, what would possess somebody to get the same tattoos as the Joker from the Suicide Squad? Maybe he's the best Joker or not? Whoa. <laughs> I don't want to go down that hole. Not, he could not be. now. <laughs> not at the end of the cast. <laughs> the Jared Leto Joker. <laughs> oh, that's a discussion for another time, that is. He's the... Okay, he's the, he's the second Joker who had an Oscar before he played the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's... No. The first being... Uh, Jack Nicholson, of course. Yeah, I just, I'm just looking now at this image of him with the hand in front of his face and the damaged thing written on his forehead. And, and he's got the grill because Batman punched his teeth out at some point. <laughs> That's canon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that That's another, like, side thought. Like, how many, how much, like, what kind of dental insurance does the Joker have? Considering the amount that Batman punches his teeth out. I don't think Joker's like, part of any union. I think he's yeah, paying but... out of pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, he's, he must, he must spend so much money on, on like getting like orthodontic work done, like getting like implants put in and stuff. Like at this point, his entire mouth must be made up of implants. Cause think about like, um, Ledger's Joker. He, he couldn't even get decent surgery. Yeah, that, that was a box job on his on his Chelsea grin. Well, yeah, he done it himself, didn't he? <laughs> Put a razor blade in his mouth and moved it around with his tongue because his. That's why wife... he blew up the hospital because yeah. uh, of healthcare costs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, um, I don't think I've. In answer to your question, Marv, no, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen anything on that level or anything that I would consider strange. I think most of it has just been quite tasteful or, you know, like items of clothing and things like that. It's, also, it's... normally with questions of these type, um, the person gives an example of the one they saw. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm thinking Marv's seen something incredible <laughs> and he's fuming right now that the best he got was Vegeta on someone's car. Yeah. Well, his his example for us was this this hand tattoo, this Joker hand tattoo. Oh, did he, he see said, that in the wild? He said, "Yeah, that was how, that was what prompted uh, the course, question." He saw that in the wild, like he saw someone getting off the tube with that. So, go figure. But yeah, I mean, I've not I've not seen anything like that. I mean, I've got I've got comic booky tattoos myself. I've got a tattoo of poison ivy on my arm in a kind of like a Pete and Pete style way. <laughs> <laughs> Like Petunia. Is it Petunia in Pete and Pete? It's, this is going back too far for me. Where I just, he's got I just like... remember one of the Pete's pushing a house like one centimetre. Yeah. He's got a tattoo of a redhead on his arm. One of them has anyway. <laughs> but like I've got like Poison Ivy on my arm in this kind of like pin-up style with a scroll. So, yeah. <laughs> 
but yeah i don't i don't think i've ever seen anyone with anything that's not tasteful like i i've uh, there was a guy that works at a coffee a local coffee shop i used to go to that's got a sleeve made up of batman villains which is kind of cool it's like the riddler and everything um but yeah i mean that that definitely closes us out now so <laughs> that's that's us covering every every facet of business we needed to cover for ace comicals episode number 95 you can find us at www.acecomicals.com which is kind of the hub for everything we do um you can find us in various places to listen to us um we are available on spotify itunes tuning castro name a podcatcher with a um you can find us on Twitter under at Ace Comicals, uh, where you can tweet us, DM us, ask us a question like Marv has. Um, get involved in the conversation. Tell us what you think of the old guard. Uh, you can email us at acecomicals at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. And um, of course, you can get in touch with me at me, DM me, etc. Um, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. And I just want to end up uh, with a RIP Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Rest in power. Rest in power, RIP Chadwick Boseman. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Ace Comicals, over and out.